Good morning. I'm Tamara, if you don't know me, and I'm reading um, this morning's Bible reading, Psalm 3, um, 1 to 18. And if you have one of these Bibles from the back, back table there, it is on page 630. Oh, Proverbs, sorry, what did I say? <laughs> Psalms. Yes, I was in Psalms this morning. <laughs> sorry, from Proverbs. My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. Let faith and fa love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on your tablet of your heart. Then you will win favour and a good name in, in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Honour the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline, and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves, and as a father he's the son he delights in. Blessed are those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding, for she is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. She is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honour. Her ways are pleasant ways, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her. Those who hold her fast will be blessed. Thank you. Thanks, Tamara. Wealth. Um, my wife laughed herself nearly silly when she found out that Carl had asked me to preach on wealth. <laughs> she, um, she'll be here this afternoon to, to see what the results are. But I must confess I had a smile too because wealth and Steve are not things that you necessarily have an equal sign <laughs> between. But I have benefited a great deal from looking at what Proverbs has to say about wealth. And it's surprising how much Proverbs has to say about wealth. There's a huge amount of material. In fact, that's part of the problem. It's trying to collate it all together and get it uh, expressed in a way that's helpful. As I pondered this subject, though, I realised that I think deep down it is not uncommon for us to have almost a low-grade sense of guilt about wealth. We've probably heard many times that all of us in this room are richer than 95% of people on the planet. We find that a very humbling thought. 
And it can create a sense, almost like survivor guilt, of how come I've got so much and others have got so little? We also know that Jesus had a lot to say about money. And he said it's, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And we start to wonder, well, how much do you need to be regarded as rich? What is the right way to use our money? How much should I give to missions? And if I do um, support missions, how much of it is going to go on administration costs? Or will a lot of it wind up um, paying a bribe to some uh, rich tyrant somewhere before he'll let food get through to his villagers? And, and we have all these kinds of questions. How much do I give to my own congregation and support the work of the gospel? And we've got this low-grade sense of how am I using my money wisely? Is the way I'm using my money, my wealth, the way God would want me to use it? And I think it would be fair to say that it's not uncommon to have this low-grade sense of residual guilt about the whole thing. We know that what Jesus said and what the Scriptures teach us, for instance, 1 Timothy 6 says this, and we instinctively know it's hit the nail on the head. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, with this we will be content. For those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And we deep in our bones just know that is true. So what does the book of Proverbs have to say about wealth that was written 3,000 years ago that could help us in 2019? Come with me on a journey. Let's see what Proverbs has to say. The key perspective that Proverbs wants us to understand about wealth is that wealth is basically, in and of itself, a great good when used wisely. It is a great good when used wisely. It's actually among God's blessings. The blessing of the Lord brings wealth without painful toil for it. Proverbs 10.22. So it's right up front saying that God's blessing brings wealth. And Proverbs 28.25. The greedy stir up conflict, but those who trust in the Lord will prosper. Now, prosper may not necessarily mean wealth. It could mean prosper in other ways, but we can't exclude wealth from that. Wealth is a blessing from God that can be received and enjoyed without necessarily feeling guilty about it. It's not necessarily an ungodly thing to be wealthy. Think of Abraham, Job, the richest man in the East. Abraham had flocks and herds. David was a man after God's own heart, but amassed a huge fortune that he left a lot of it behind for the building of the temple. So wealth is among God's blessings. We need to just put it out there. 
And wealth can be a means of doing much good. All hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. The wealth of the wise is their crown, but the folly of fools yields folly. Whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker, but whoever is kind to the needy honours God. So being kind to needy people is a way of honouring God. If we work hard and turn a profit, we're in a much better position to be able to share the benefits around than if we have nothing to give to help others. Think of Joseph of Arimathea. We're told that he's a rich man. It was prophesied in Isaiah that Jesus would be buried with the rich. And he was. He was buried in a rich man's tomb. Joseph of Arimathea was able, he was in a position to be able to give his tomb for the burial of Jesus. And when you think about it, that is an emblem, a picture of what is possible for any of us to do if we have wealth that's used in the right way. It can be used for the glory of God. So wealth can be a means of doing much practical good that honours God. Wealth, therefore, needs to be appreciated. It needs to be appropriately appreciated. The lazy do not roast any game, but the diligent feed on the riches of the hunt. Now, that's not necessarily, again, talking about wealth, but the principle is there. If you're lazy, you're not going to be able to get your food. Proverbs is written in an agrarian and a hunting kind of um, place, uh, not, not uh, in, a, in a time like we used to where we live, most of us live in cities, but the principle behind it is one we can identify. Being lazy, you're probably not going to get rich. But when you're diligent, you have enough to feed off and you may well be able to feed others. Honour the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Again, a way of saying, if you seek first God's kingdom and God's righteousness with your worldly wealth, it will go well with you on the whole. God is honoured by that. So if we work hard for something and succeed and we show our appreciation when, when we receive it, then God is honoured by that. This is the idea behind giving thanks before we eat. To thank God for his provision. So why, why not do the same with wealth? Say, thank you, Lord, for my income. Thank you, Lord, that you have provided a job for me. Thank you, Lord, that I have enough to be able to, to eat and live. Thank you that I have enough to pay my mortgage. Thank you that I'm able to set a bit aside for my superannuation. Thank you that I have perhaps enough to invest on the stock market. So we're the stewards of whatever God graces us with. Proverbs teaches us to receive and appreciate and handle money and possessions as the good gifts of God. 
Now that's, if you like, the positive side that rings out in Proverbs. But there's also a very deep warning and challenge in Proverbs 2. One thing that Proverbs makes clear to us is that wealth is a mixed blessing. It is a blessing, but it's not an unmixed blessing because of sin in our hearts. The problem is not so much with money, but with what happens when we see the value of money and what it triggers inside of us. So it illustrates this in any number of ways. We're going to look at a number of them. First thing, wealth is uncertain. Proverbs 23, 4 and 5. Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Do not trust your own cleverness. Cast but a glance at riches and they're gone. For they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. So it's saying to us, wealth is is God's blessing, but wealth is not God. It's not wealth that's the same yesterday, today and forever. So don't put your trust in things that might be here today and gone tomorrow. Ecclesiastes, probably written by Solomon who wrote Proverbs, says the same kind of thing. Ecclesiastes 9, 11 and 12. I've seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favour to the learned, but time and chance happen to them all. Moreover, no one knows when their hour will come. As fish are caught in a cruel net or birds are taken in a snare, so people are trapped by evil times that fall unexpectedly upon them. Now, we all know this instinctively again. When we read a passage like this, we know that's true. You don't know when you might have a car accident. You don't know if your health might give way. And you might be up for huge medical bills. Or you you don't know uh, what's going to happen necessarily with the stock market or what will be the case for you when you retire. There's all kinds of uncertainties. There's only one bedrock that we're encouraged to build our life on and that's not wealth. It's God. So, but deep down, I think we often have a tendency to think we're an exception. Or maybe as Christians, we think, but God will look after me. Now, that's true. We we ought to be able to run to God as our strong tower. We ought to be able to trust in the Lord with all our heart and not lean on our own understanding. We all have to find God to be our rock and our refuge, and he promises to be that. But the way he might be our rock and refuge may not be the way we suspect or think. Sometimes God's agenda involves what we don't like or want. Sometimes he might put us in a situation where he disciplines us through scarcity and want, through collapse of of finances in order to show us that he's more valuable to us than these things. No amount of wealth or good health could protect Job 
from what he went through. He, could, he couldn't be completely protected from the reality of spiritual warfare. We've got an evil one who prowls around like a roaring lion seeking to devour us. And one of the ways that the Lord allowed Satan to, to afflict Job was through the loss of, of family and you know, his children and his health. So we're in a sinful world and sin in us sometimes blinds us to what's going on. We can understand, we can all identify with Job who's sitting there and he's he's refusing to distrust God but he does not understand what's going on. Because there's stuff happening in the heavenly realms where Satan comes in amongst the sons of God and the Lord says to him, have you seen my servant Job? There's none like him. And, and Satan gives a challenge to God and says, yeah, but if you do this to him, you watch what happens. And God says, all right, well, he's in your hands. How would you or I feel if that was us? There is spiritual warfare. And sometimes we run to the promises of God in an unhealthy way and take such comfort from them, we think we'll never be afflicted. We'll never face trouble. God will look after us. All will be well. And we think looking after us means financial security and provision of all our our needs. The other thing that another thing that that we're encouraged to understand from Proverbs is that wealth can't satisfy us. Death and destruction, Proverbs 27, 20 and 24. Death and destruction are never satisfied and neither are human eyes. For riches do not endure forever and a crown is not secure for all generations. So sin and Satan dangle the lure of wealth like a carrot in front of our eyes to entice us for more and more and more. Wealth can be as intoxicating as alcohol as addictive as gambling. We, we taste the undoubted benefits of it, paying our way out of trouble, uh, a way to enjoy more of the good things in life, security and prosperity so we can do what we want, make choices, but we want more and more. How much is enough? The answer is always just a little bit more than what we have. So wealth ultimately won't satisfy us. Wealth can't save us either. Look at Proverbs 11, 4 and 28. Wealth is worthless in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. Those who trust in their riches will fall, but the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. What God's looking for is righteousness in people. And the only righteousness that we have is the righteousness that we, we have through Jesus Christ. The righteousness that is by faith. We can't get righteousness by any other means and wealth is totally useless for delivering righteousness to us. In fact, it may lead us away from the path of righteousness. I once saw a a video clip, Uh, it was many years ago, I assume it's probably on YouTube, I didn't look for it, but it shows this huge crane with a Cadillac, 
and it's hanging off the end. And this guy has died and he's, he's dressed up to the nines in his suit and he's been positioned in, in the driver's seat of his Cadillac and he's being lowered into his grave by this crane. He was determined to take what he could with him. Maybe he, didn't, he couldn't bear the thought of someone else driving his beloved Cadillac. Maybe the thought of just selling it or someone else inheriting it was, was just an abomination to him. I don't know. But all I do know is that Cadillac did him no good. He, what, what good can wealth do for us? It didn't help him and it won't help us who are alive. Too often what happens is wealth distracts us from what's more important. Proverbs 16, 16, how much better to get wisdom than gold, to get insight rather than silver. We we need to let the reality of that sink into us. We can't take it with us. It's not going to save us. It's uncertain. It can fly away, like you know, sprout wings and be gone. How much better to gain the true wisdom in Christ, wisdom and knowledge, the wisdom and knowledge of the gospel. That's what we treasure and value. That's what we're encouraged to look to and to base our confidence on, not our wealth. It's interesting that a 2015 survey by the US banking giant Wells Fargo shed light on what's on the minds of uh, wealthy investors in the United States. They surveyed uh, a whole host of wealthy people and they got almost 2,000 respondents who had at least $250,000 of disposable income. So that's, you know, you're in a fairly, fairly flush state if you've got 250000 above and beyond your needs. And they surveyed these people and this is what they found. They found that they wished at the end, near the end of their life that they'd made better investing decisions, that they'd saved more and spent less and they wished that they'd stopped to smell the roses along the way because they were so possessed in the mad pursuit of money that they lost the ability to really enjoy life. And that was abundantly clear to them near the end of their life. Too often wealth distracts us from what's more important. But there's, there's even more sinister side effects from wealth. And Proverbs warns us that wealth can make us proud and pretentious. Proverbs 28.11 The rich are wise in their own eyes. One who is poor and discerning sees how deluded they are. Wealth can breed a sense of superiority that blinds us to how we're acting because we become so accustomed to mixing in certain circles because of the income that we have and thinking in certain ways because they're the people we mix with that we lose we lose sight of the common man. We lose sight of what the rest of the world is like and what they're going through. How easy in such circles to think, well, I'm here because I've worked hard for it. Undoubtedly, you probably have worked hard for it. 
But that doesn't necessarily mean that those who haven't arrived in your circles aren't working hard or that they're somehow deficient or inferior to you. It's easy for wealth to breed a sense of of unhealthy superiority. And it's, it's just good to be amongst poor people sometimes. It can be like a splash of cold water in our face to wake us up. I know the first time I ever travelled overseas was an eye-opener to me, to realise, whoa, this is so different from what I'm used to. I know when I went to China in 1990, it's probably a lot different now because it was before they'd really fully revolutionised, but I could not believe the number of beggars around the streets and how it was almost useless to have traffic lights because people just went through red lights and drove in all directions. And bicycle after bicycle just piled up on the sides of the streets. And just being there and realising, wow. But I had to struggle with, why do I have more and they have less? Is it because I'm a better or a wiser person? Ultimately, no. No. It is so easy to think that you're superior if you have more than others. Being wise in our own eyes or our own circles can blind us to God's wisdom. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. Honest feedback from the poor can be a wake-up call to us. One who is poor and discerning sees how deluded they are sees how deluded they are. Wealth can also make us dishonest and greedy and ruthless. Not just proud, but ruthless. Look at what Proverbs 11, verses 1 and 16 and 18, 23 say. The Lord detests dishonest scales, but accurate weights find favour with him. A kind-hearted woman gains honour, but ruthless men gain only wealth. The poor plead for mercy, but the rich answer harshly. The single-minded pursuit of wealth can lead us into hard-heartedness, uncaringness, becoming indifferent to the feelings of others, even ruthless in our decision-making. You've only got to... Consider what mafia bosses are willing to do. Their goal is to maintain power and control of wealth. And anyone who gets in their way could get their fingers or toes cut off or worse. You've only got to look at the Banking Royal Commission to know what our big four banks are willing to do in the mad pursuit to supply a profit margin to shareholders. They they have foreclosed on farmers who've been on the land for generations. They've foreclosed on widows with no compassion. And yet we read the bottom line is that they've multiple billions of dollars of profit. The average Aussie looks at that and says, there's something inherently wrong. Where is the compassion? But when you're driven by the bottom line of the big dollar, that's the sort of thing that starts to happen. That's what comes out of the human heart. 
The poor plead for mercy, but the rich answer harshly. So to sum up, Proverbs warnings, we, we can say two things. Trusting in wealth is foolish. Roughly half the time in Proverbs, we're told to prize money in, in a healthy way and value possessions as basically a good thing. And half the time we warn not to trust in our wealth. So we began by looking at the positive side of wealth. It's a blessing from God. It can be used for good, especially for his glory and honour. But then to trust in wealth instead of God is just sheer folly. Proverbs 11.28, Those who trust in their riches will fall, but the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. Better to be righteous than merely rich. Merely rich. The wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it is a wall too high to scale. A fortune made by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapour and a deadly snare. Here the focus is on what is imaginary and fleeting about wealth and the unrighteous pursuit of it. Somehow, wealth has a way of intoxicating us to not see things as they really are. And we start to imagine things, like a man who's drunk. And, and we, we don't see things clearly. And what's in our hearts gets exposed. It comes out. Proverbs 28, 20 to 22. A faithful person will be richly blessed, but one eager to get rich will not go unpunished. To show partiality is not good, yet a person will do wrong for a piece of bread. The stingy are eager to get rich and unaware that poverty awaits them. You see that twice there, the phrase is used, eager to get rich. A faithful person will be richly blessed, but the, the one eager to get rich will not go unpunished. The stingy are eager to get rich, and are unaware that poverty awaits them. It's that desire for riches, it's that love of money that's the root of all evil. Faithfulness is the pathway to God's blessing rather than just being determined to get rich. Don't set your hope so strongly on being rich that you feel that, that life won't be worth living if you don't have enough to live on and to retire on and do what you want. So the second thing that the proverb says, so trusting in wealth is foolish, but don't let wealth become your greatest good because there are more important things in life. Here there's a number of proverbs on this. Blessed are those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding, for she is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. Proverbs 3, the reading that we had. She is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honour. So when we set our heart on the wisdom and the knowledge of God, one of the side benefits can be riches. But if you set your heart on riches, one of the side benefits won't be the knowledge and love of God because it's the wrong way around. 
We wind up worshipping and serving the creature rather than the creator. We end up pursuing unrighteous mammon, as Jesus describes it, and setting our affections on money rather than on the Lord. When the righteous prosper, the city rejoices, Proverbs 11, 11. When the wicked perish, there are shouts of joy. Through the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted, but by the mouth of the wicked, it is destroyed. So there are more important things in life than wealth, like wisdom, understanding, righteousness, being an upright person, fearing the Lord. Proverbs 14, whoever fears the Lord has a secure fortress and for their children it will be a refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, turning a person from the snares of death. Life and health and peace and security begin with the fear of the Lord, respecting and honouring God's superior wisdom above all else. So a heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Proverbs 14.30 Having wealth often disturbs the peacefulness of our hearts because we're preoccupied with the wrong goals and motivations in life. Proverbs 22.1 A good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. There are many, many things better than wealth. How often is wealth accumulated at the expense of a good name? We get so gung-ho on, on getting what we want that we, we wind up becoming, we cut corners and our reputation can suffer. So wealth can be a good servant, but boy, it's a terrible master. The desire to get rich will not coerce, drag and lead us toward godliness. Rather, it will reinforce self-centeredness. So overall, Proverbs urges us to use wealth wisely to the glory of God. What does that look like? Well, it means stewarding your wealth wisely. Proverbs 24, by wisdom a house is built and through understanding it is established. Through knowledge its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. Proverbs uses the analogy of a richly furnished house to describe a wise, knowledgeable and productive life. Wealth used wisely to the glory of God can fill your life and the lives of others with some amazing things. Not just material possessions, but showing the value of a good reputation and the fear of the Lord that is the beginning of wisdom. This is a life that centres on the one thing needful that will not be taken away from us. Children who grow up in a household like this are blessed children. They may not understand it fully at the time, but they will have had the privilege of seeing their parents set their hearts on God and the things that are most important in life. And then seeing the value of getting, of seeking first God's kingdom and God's righteousness and seeing how God supplies the other things that we need as well. They get to see what wise living actually looks like at the ground level. They get to taste and see the benefits and they understand what that looks like. 
So Proverbs shows us what being a wise steward of wealth looks like. It, it involves working hard and saving. Proverbs 14, 23 and 21, 17. All hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. Whoever loves pleasure will become poor. Whoever loves wine and olive oil will never be rich. So if you're just going pursuing the benefits of riches all the time, you will want more and more and more and you'll find yourself overreaching yourself. Dishonest money dwindles away. Proverbs 11, 13, 11. There's a string of verses there. Dishonest money dwindles away, but whoever gathers money little by little makes it grow. The wise store up choice food and olive oil, but fools gulp theirs down. Ants are creatures of little strength, yet they store up their food in the summer. So it's like, go to the ant, you sluggard. Have a look and see what nature can show you. We can be more foolish than one of God's brute creatures if we don't learn to live God's way. There's something very satisfying about the discipline of saving and working hard to achieve your goal. And that includes becoming wealthy. But mere talk or forever chasing pleasure and the good things in life won't lead you to experience deep satisfaction. And it involves being content and thankful. Proverbs 15, 16 and 17. Better a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. Better a small serving of vegetables with love than a fattened calf with hatred. Contentment is something we've got to learn. It doesn't just happen to us. We need to make a steady stream of choices to be thankful in our circumstances, to choose to be content and to choose to be generous. I did a little bit of Googling to prepare for today and actually looked at a number of of, um, reliable surveys that have been done And I found there's consistency between a lot of the the surveys that have been done that show, studies reliably show, that people earning an average wage of between 60 to 75,000, now that was US, so it's a fair bit more here, are more likely to be content than those on higher incomes. One study in 2017 showed when a person starts earning over about 105000 their their contentment and happiness starts to drop off. And the more they earn, the more it drops off. Again, research shows that the answer doesn't lie in being poor either because those on a very low income also experience high rates of unhappiness. The lower your income, the greater your unhappiness. But multiple studies have shown this. Two two things stand out. The difference between the poor and the rich. Those who are relatively poor are still generally happier than those who are relatively rich. And on on a pro rata basis, they're proportionately more generous The poor are consistently more generous-hearted than the rich. It's like the more you set your heart on riches, the more stingy you become. And the poor tend to derive their happiness from relationships rather than from things. 
They place their value on family and friends, while the rich are more likely to be so self-focused and proud and driven that they find it difficult to enjoy healthy relationships. They're so highly driven they, and, and so time poor, they don't have time for friends and they only view friends for what they can use them for. Wealth has a discipling effect on our hearts that is unhealthy. It leads us, it, it trains us, it disciples us in unrighteousness. So all of this from Proverbs shows us that... Uh, God wants us to be generous people. Proverbs 14.31 Whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker. Whoever is kind to the, to the needy honours God. There's a connection between how we treat the poor and how we honour God. Our contempt or honour for the poor is reflection on the God who made them. We store up treasure in heaven by honouring God with our wealth. Honour the Lord with your wealth. Back to Proverbs 3 again, 9 and 10. With the first fruits of all your crops, then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. That's the Proverbs way of saying what Jesus said. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things, what you'll eat, what you'll drink, what you'll wear, we given to you as well. I recall the impact on my heart when my old professor at theological college told us about a man he knew who was a very shy American guy who made huge sums of money from doing groundbreaking research into the remarkable properties of the black widow spider. Black widow spiders apparently spin a web that is stronger than steel but very flexible. And he discovered how to harness the properties of the black widow spider's web and transfer it to industry. So there was industrial application. People just flocked to him. He, he made more money than he knew what to do with. And he used to say this. He said, I'm not a good talker, but God has blessed me with lots of money and I want to use it for his glory. It had a profound effect on me. He used his multi-million dollar income to support many missionaries on the field and to invest in and fund groundbreaking mission initiatives. That is honouring the Lord with your wealth. That is not trusting in your own understanding. God is honoured when we acknowledge our wealth comes from him and we want to use it for his glory. So Proverbs and the rest of the Bible warns us that this won't happen automatically. It involves a spiritual choice on our part to submit to God's superior wisdom and glory for our lives. So as we wrap up, Proverbs helps us. This 3,000-year-old book can help us deal with this low-grade guilt issue. Trusting in wealth is foolish, but despising wealth and possessions is not wise either. We're urged to enjoy wealth for what it is. A useful servant, but a terrible master. Contentment and happiness come through knowing God, not through wealth. It's the enjoyment of the Lord. The joy of the Lord is our strength. 
not our income. So it's not from having more or from having less. We should aim to use our wealth wisely and set our hearts on knowing God. Go for for knowledge and understanding. Go, Go for the wisdom of God. Set your heart on knowing the treasures of the gospel, of the goodness of God, who so loved us that he gave his only begotten son. There is the pathway to satisfaction. Listen to this prayer from a godly man in the book of Proverbs who wrestled with this competing tension of contentment and wealth in his heart 3,000 years ago. And here's what he broke through and concluded. Proverbs 30, verses 7 to 9. Two things I ask of you, Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonour the name of my God. That's the prayer of a godly man. Man who's set his heart on knowing God. That's the prayer of a man for whom God means far more than wealth and money and possessions. So Proverbs is remarkably relevant. And Jesus, 2,000 years ago, said much the same when he put in the middle of the Lord's Prayer, give us today our daily bread. But before that is our Father who is in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. And then give us this day our daily bread. That's God's order. That's what Proverbs is teaching us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for drawing near to us in your Son, Jesus Christ, in whom are hidden all the riches of the treasures of the wisdom and knowledge of God. We thank you for these true treasures of righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. We thank you for the hope that we have in you that wealth cannot possibly deliver us. We know that often it's the rich that are are the most unhappy. That the mere possession of things doesn't automatically make us good and godly people. In fact, almost always the reverse. How impossible it is for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Father, may these things come home to us today, that we may use the true wealth of the knowledge of you in the face of Jesus Christ. That we would be changed and discipled from self-centeredness to to godliness, to generosity, to the desire to serve, to humility, to taking up a, a position to bless others and to encourage them and not look down upon others. 
Will you shape our hearts, Lord, away from sin, back to yourself, away from self-centeredness to servanthood, away from, from just trusting in wealth to seeking wisdom, knowing that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of that wisdom. So please entrust us with the true riches of knowing and loving you and blessing our neighbour and loving our neighbour as ourself. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.